So there we go. So yes, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you this morning that we can come to you and hear from your word and we can take something away that your Holy Spirit deposits in us because this is not just knowledge. This is the presence of God. And I thank you for what you're doing in this space in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, when I turned up to Port Hedland as a 38-year-old to start pastoring our church, I was a little bit younger than Justin and Anna are now, and, uh, and I came into a very small church of about 25, 30 people, and uh, they were established in their connect groups and established in their hierarchies and their feeling of who was spiritual and who wasn't. And, um, and very shortly, within a matter of months, um, about six of them, the group of who were basically the main, so this is, this is one third of the church at this point, uh, left, telling me that um, you're not spiritual enough for us. They had a couple of uh, people who wanted, they were into deeper feeding, deeper spirituality, and then they'd carried along with them a couple of new Christians and taught them the ways of their spirituality, and therefore they were now more spiritual than me, who didn't seem to show any gifts of the Spirit or anything that they considered to be worth listening to. And the problem with that is, is that what do we judge our spirituality by? And if you judge it by uh, tithing, okay, yes, I've, I've tithed since I was about 19. If you judge it by uh, church attendance, yes, I basically barely missed, missed a church service in, in 35, 40 years. Uh, if you, what, what do you judge it by? Bible reading, okay, yeah, I've got to a point now where I'm pretty much reading my Bible every day and praying. And, and there's, there's these things that we measure our spirituality by, but then also there's the knowledge and then there's... Uh, people we hang out with, the, the things we do and don't do. So there's all that that we judge our spirituality by. And yet Jesus said to his disciples, do what the Pharisees say because they sit in the place of the law and they, and they know what we should be doing. But don't do what they do. Now, that's very fascinating because they tithe down to their mint that come and their herbs that come out of their garden. They'd take off one-tenth and give it away, the first fruits. They'd do, they did everything perfectly, and yet they were still lacking. What were they lacking? Because they would go to the temple three times a day to pray at the times of prayer. And uh, there's a wonderful book that I have in my study called the, the Practicing the Presence of God, where a man years ago decided that he was going to practice the presence of God and just be in the moment with God all the time, whether he was cutting the vegetables, whether he was talking to people, he, he would try and get through. He, he found it difficult at first, but he practiced the presence of God and chatted to God the whole day through. I had a friend when I was an apprentice, and she said she did that. She chatted to God the whole day through, whereas I just get up and um, basically say, good morning, God, and then forget about him until my Bible reading in the evening. That was my way when I was in my 20s, and, and I didn't necessarily think about God at all. And you think, well, okay, I'm feeling guilty right now. Anybody? <laughs> oh, see that hand? Um, no. What is it 
that we're lacking when we're desiring spiritual maturity. Because if we, if we do understand what spiritual maturity is, it's growing up in God. I, I want to read to you a few things about spiritual maturity. And if you don't feel guilty yet, you will after this. Okay, these are the issues that we face, right? How can I be quick to hear and slow to speak? How can I be angry and not sin? How can I watch my heart above all else because that's where life flows from? How can I speak the truth in love? I've met many people who were very good at speaking the truth. I did not feel loved. How can I be a true peacemaker? How can I mourn? Matthew wrote in the Beatitudes, in Jesus, the words of Jesus, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. There's all these blessings that God has for us. How can I not bear false witness against my neighbor? We go, oh, well, that's easy, I don't do that. Have you ever thought and made assumptions about what somebody else is thinking and feeling? Yeah? Oh, they did this because of that. This is what... That's, that's bearing false witness. That's the, you know, I think that's the ninth commandment that Moses put in. Do not bear false witness. If you're making up stories about somebody without finding out, you're doing it. How can I get rid of all bitterness, rage, and envy? So there's a few little items that when I read that list, I, all of a sudden I started to go, ooh, this is, this is going to be a deep message. People are going to walk out of here feeling so uplifted. <laughs> so here's some more. <laughs> Thank you, Justin. Are you listening to this? He said to me with my first preach, he said, oh, this, he said sorry to give you this verse, but uh, I know it's the hardest one in the whole bunch, but, but uh, you can handle it, can't you? I was like, Sure. <laughs> growing emotionally, growing emotionally is something that we expect that ha- we expect it to happen naturally. Growing spiritually, we're not quite so sure because what do you do? So what Jesus was pointing out with the Pharisees was uh, just how you do it. And in fact, what I'd like to do at this point, before I get into that next wonderful list, is, is read to you what God has to say on the, chat, on, the, on, the, on the subject from Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. Okay. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and he sat down to eat. And when a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Right there, when I read that, I think, awkward. Can you imagine being Jesus or that woman? in that spot I just I wonder how she did that to to me that's just very unusual 
And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Jesus was traveling from town to town. He didn't necessarily know everybody in every town. But this Pharisee was thinking about Jesus. If he was a prophet, he would know what's going on here. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Uh, Once again, then Jesus answered his thoughts. Do you know, I was thinking about that just this morning, and I thought, you know, that's, I've always thought of that as I was growing up as a, wow, Jesus can read people's minds. And we know that he did many, many things where he saw things into the future and they happened, like, you know, the gold coin in the fish's mouth and throw your nets out onto the other side and, and uh, walk up the, the city street and you'll see a man carrying, you know, with a donkey or, or you'll take the colt. And if they said, we know that Jesus could see things in the future and he, could, he had connection to God's information. But here this morning, I thought, you know what? It's actually not hard to see what people are thinking sometimes. <laughs> uh, I think probably everybody could see what the Pharisee was thinking, you know, like that. <laughs> That's what, oh, good, they're still not here. <laughs> Sometimes she gets a bit embarrassed about me. Okay. Um, When the Pharisee who had invited him, oh, I've done that. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver, and to one, 50 pieces of silver. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, cancelled their debts. Now, Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Well, Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he cancelled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. That was standard common courtesy, like a handshake. Didn't do that. Uh, But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. Once again, standard greeting. Why not? Well, Simon was only inviting Jesus for one reason. He wanted to hammer him. He wanted to, he wanted to, he was part of the Pharisees' format of going out and discovering how and what somebody was thinking and teaching and finding fuel and ammo against them so they could take him down. That's what Simon was there for. That's why it's like, come into my house that I might trap you. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, she has not stopped kissing me, kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many. Imagine being the woman listening to that. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, not only does he read his mind, he's reading mine too. have been forgiven so she has shown me much love but a person who has been forgiven little only shows a little love and then Jesus said to the woman your sins are forgiven and the men at the table said among themselves this is other men Simon's friends Simon's backup crew the ones who were taking notes said who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins and Jesus said to the woman your faith has saved you go in peace 
See, what Jesus did with spiritual maturity was he took 12 untrained fishermen and other things, other people. Uh, You've got Matthew who was hated. You've got a, a range of guys who basically understood that they were not spiritual. They'd been told it all their lives. They'd been told that if you want to be spiritual, you've got to be either a Pharisee or a lawyer. All you minions, you menial people, you're not spiritual. You're just sinners. And it's not really all your fault because, you know, it's your parents who sinned and you're just born in sin. And, you know, it was basically fatalistic. You're wrecked. And yet what Jesus came along and said was like, okay, you people who are thinking that way, Simon, you're wrong. It's not about all the things you do. It's not about all the tithes you give, the prayers you make. Jesus nailed all these things in his story time, his parable time, his preaching and walking time. He he nailed a bunch of different things that the Pharisees were doing. You're not lifting a hand to help them. You're loading them up with spiritual, spiritual problems, but you're not lifting a finger to help them. So in other words, you're given the first half of the message, not the second half. There is light at the end of this tunnel. But before we get there, there's a little more dark. (laughs) We have to grow emotionally along with spiritually in order to be spiritually mature. Let me say that again. In order to be spiritually mature, we can't just focus on the spiritual. We have to focus on the emotional, our emotional well-being. In other words, how do we feel about the people around us? How do we feel about the life we're living here on earth? How do we, how do our emotions, go, what do we do with our emotions that go up and down and all over the place with regard to both God, practicing the presence of God, and practicing the presence of people. See, just reading the book, Practicing the Presence of God, is not enough. It's great. It's a fantastic book. Read it if you like. But Jesus was pointing out to Simon and to all his disciples, it's not enough to practice the presence of God alone. You must practice the presence of people. The problem is, A bit like the ancients that thought the sun revolved around the earth and the universe revolved around the earth. Copernicus comes along and says, "Uh uh-oh, no, the earth revolves around the sun and the sun revolves around the universe somewhere. That's a bit like us. The world and spirituality and God does not revolve around us. We've got to get away from the self-centered baby infant thing where they think we exist purely for their fun food and happiness and dryness those things ask me about dryness okay so here is a bit of a scale now if you can pinpoint any of these for yourself in here uh, then you might have something to work on a bit like a just heads up I was reading this going like oh no I've got some of that I've got some of that and I've got some of this so emotional infants we're moving through four stages emotional infants emotional children emotional adolescents 
and then emotional adults. So here's infants. Emotional infants look for others to take care of them. They have great difficulty entering into the world of others. They are driven for a need by the need for instant gratification, and they use others as objects to meet their needs. That's infants. It's purely self-centered. There's no other centeredness going on at all. Emotional children, as they start, as we start growing, are content and happy as long as they receive what they want. Unravel quickly from stress, disappointments, and trials. Interpret disagreements as personal offenses. You ever spoken to somebody who you were just trying to uh, disagree with, but then it turned into like a big fight? Nah. I remember I was I had a, a lady in our church who wanted me to let her speak and preach and and so we started to do this and I started to work it through and I said yeah no I'll just chat with you and then uh, after one of her messages I said okay now I just want to tell you and we're just sitting down in the foyer of the church uh just you can't do that you know I like what you're doing I love the way you look great on stage you've got a great smile but I you can't but you can't say this sort of thing next thing she was standing and screaming and crying and I was blinking and backing away, well, as far as the couch would let me. What is going on here? She completely lost her lolly, went home, told her husband everything that I'd been doing to her and abusing her. And uh, he stopped coming to church for six months, a year, something like that. And, um, and eventually, and she stopped for a little while too, eventually they came back, but um, it was never the same. They were never the same. And, uh, and I thought, how did you get to be so spiritually mature, come through the church that you'd come through, all this training, everything, how did you get to be so mature and yet you can't even have a discussion about improvement? <clears throat> okay, we're still talking about emotional children. Have great difficulty calmly discussing their needs and wants in a mature, loving way. Emotional adolescence. We're starting to feel like we're getting more mature. We've been a Christian a few years and we're getting in there, but we still do a few of these things. We tend to be defensive. Do you ever tend to be defensive? Are threatened and alarmed by criticism. Keep score of what they give so that they can ask for something later in return. Deal with conflict poorly, often blaming, appeasing, going to a third party, pouting, pouting or ignoring the issue entirely. Emotional adolescents tend to become preoccupied with themselves and have great deal of difficulty truly listening to another person's pain, disappointments or needs. So in summary, adolescents, emotional adolescents tend to be critical and judgmental. Okay, last one. Let's hope you've got some in here, right? Let's hope I have. Are able, emotional adults are able to ask for what they need, want, or prefer, clearly, directly, and honestly. They recognize, manage, and take responsibility for their own thoughts and feelings. Emotional adults can, when under stress, state their own beliefs and values without becoming adversarial. Emotional adults respect others without having to change them. Give, adult, uh, give people room to make mistakes and not be perfect. 
appreciate people for who they are, the good, the bad, and the ugly, not for what they give back. Accurately assess their own limits, strengths, and weaknesses and are able to freely discuss them with others. Emotional adults are deeply in tune with their own emotional world and able to enter into the feelings, the needs, and concerns of others without losing themselves. They have the capacity to resolve conflict maturely and negotiate solutions that consider the perspectives of, of others. So there's, there's a bunch of good stuff in there. The, the chapter of this book, the f- fantastic, uh, I've just been reading it with, uh, with amazement, actually, at how much this man packs into very short portions and, and the lists that are so handy that I could just, it, when I was full-time pastoring in Port Helen, I would, I would have pulled out three or four of these lists that are in this one chapter and used them in connect groups, in my leadership training, uh, because there's just so much good stuff in there. But uh, I haven't got time to do that this morning. I've had a bit of fun. But one thing I would say with all of this, how do you grow into an emotional adult? It doesn't come from listening to one message, one preach, by a guy with a bowler hat. No, it, it, it doesn't. It, there is value in coming back to church regularly, all the time, trickle charging. You know, the difference between batteries often, there are many batteries that don't enjoy a fast charge. And the, the way to charge them is a slow charge. It's a much more beneficial charge. So, and that's a bit like us. We're a slow charge battery. 90 years, that's about, you know, you get full charge by the time you turn 90 or something. Slow trickle charge. And that's the way we grow in our spirituality. But here's the tip. It's not just about practicing the presence of God. If you take anything away with you today, it's practice the presence of people. What does that look like? It's, it's, not, it's not being a peacemaker that shuts down or blocks down or, or doesn't speak up or be, is just silent or gives people a silent treatment. Or I, I learned that early on in my marriage, that, that the best thing for my marriage was not to think I was so spiritual that I didn't argue or fight. In fact, it was very clear the Holy Spirit told me, speak up. You need to speak up. You need to give the alternate view. You need to nicely, politely. Practicing the presence of people means that you are good at choosing the right time to do something. Straight away after a service is not the best time for me as a pastor to go to someone who was serving and sort of royally messed up a little bit and just tell them what I think. That's not usually the best time as a pastor although I feel like doing that why did you do that the best thing I can do is wait till Wednesday when we have our normal catch-up I've calmed down they're unaware of what's going on there's no nerve-wracking moments of being called into the pastor's office for a chatting to now that's just that's just that's just a spiritual moment. And then it's almost like an aside where I go, oh, by the way, uh, you know, you did a great job with it and I love the way you serve, but you've got a, a tweak here to, to work on. Oh, oh yeah. Did, did you, th- were you aware of that? You know, are you aware of how fast you're going? The reason the police ask that apparently is to see whether you're going to answer 
simply politely and what the conversation is going to be like. Um, so late at night is not the best time to have deep and meaningfuls if you're upset with your spouse. Uh, suck it up. Smile and wait till Wednesday. Um, <laughs> now you've got to be smart, don't you? Spiritual, spiritual maturity does not happen without emotional maturity. So start working on being nice. What? How to Win Friends and Influence People, 1912. Fantastic book. The Friendship Factor, Alan Loy McGuinness, Anglican pastor from down Adelaide, I believe. Uh, Reverend passed away now, but fantastic little booklet on how to be a friend. You know, we can learn these things. And we can gain this. You know what it feels like when you make someone happy? When, when you make someone smile? Doesn't that feel good? That's spiritual maturity. Jesus loved people. He respected everyone. Spiritual, true spirituality, spiritual maturity is not racist. It's not homophobic. It's loving God with all your heart and others as yourself. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for the example that Jesus gave us in three short years about growing not only spiritually, emotionally, but powerfully. Lord, that there is a power that you have given us to change the world. And it's not about how spiritual I get, but it's how much of you people see in me. Lord, let us present ourselves to you afresh right now. If you'd like to, I'm going to pray a prayer. I'd like you to repeat it after me. And uh, this, is a, this is a twofold prayer or twofold dr driven prayer. If you've never handed your life into God's hand, then this prayer is doing that because for all of us, we need to refresh our presence of God, refresh our commitment to God regularly, practicing the presence of God. And so, if you want to repeat after me as I, as I pray, and I'm not going to ask you to come forward if you've prayed this prayer for the first time, but I do ask that you tell somebody, somebody that you know, somebody that you come, came with, a, a Christian member of the church, uh, or, or me. Just say, hey, I prayed that prayer. And I'll be like, yeah, you booty. Here, you can have a turn in my hat. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for coming to earth, for giving up all your glory and your consciousness to become a baby, to grow up on this earth 
and lead us into the way of true spirituality. I give you my life today. I receive your life in return. Thank you for being my Lord, my Savior, and my friend. Amen.